This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Later on in this episode, we'll have a special discount offer code just for Discovering Trek listeners. And discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets. Online at Fansets.com. A reunion? Hi, Admiral Cornwell. A breakup? Bye, Ash and Michael. And a deception that could go oh so wrong. We are one week out until the season finale of season one, and this week's penultimate episode gave us so much to think about as the Discovery prepares to go underground, literally. Add to that a somewhat familiar face returning to the captain's chair in an ultimate twist, and you know that we got lots to talk about. I'm your host, Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome, one and all, to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. I'm your co-host, Dan Davidson, and I am honored to be here to talk Star Trek Discovery with you. The Klingons are wrecking havoc all across Federation space, and like the Borg of the 24th century, there may be no stopping them. Episode 14 had it all. Action, adventure, drama, and touching moments between several characters, so let's get right into the discussion. As always, this is the premiere podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery entitled The War Without, The War Within. And we are again in awe of this latest episode. And when I say we, well, it's that time where I get to introduce my amazing co-host and also welcome him back from the Vegas Quadrant. You know, it's one thing to travel the mycelial network and battle it out in a mirror universe with your doppelgangers, but it's an entirely different thing when your connecting flight in Chicago is delayed on the return home from a business trip, which is worse. I'll I'll let you decide. Anyway, as always, he is my very special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, welcome back, buddy. Thank you so much, buddy. It's so great to be back. It, uh, you know, it was nice to be in Las Vegas for work. I'm not going to lie, but it's even better to be home and back with you here on Discovering Trek. You know, before we go any further, I have to offer my sincere thanks to Barry DeFord from Politrex for filling in while I was away. He did a yeoman's job and, uh, it's, it's at least nice to know that, uh, that somebody sounded good on this podcast last week, Dan. Uh, okay. Yeah. And he did a great <laughs> job with his audition, uh, uh, his guest hosting. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Audition. I get it. Well, you know, as we're sitting here talking about episode 14, we're getting ready to wrap up the season very soon. We've got another special guest sitting in with us this week to talk about the war without the war within, don't we? We absolutely do. Dan, he's the co-creator of the Fandom Podcast Network, and you can hear him on shows like Blood of Kings, a Highlander podcast, with our dear friend and past guest, Norman Lau, as well as Discoville, FPN's podcast dedicated to both Star Trek Discovery and the Orville. Now, he was originally supposed to be with us earlier in the season, but due to a giant storm-related blackout here in New England, where neither you nor I had power, he was gracious enough to reschedule and come back today. He's Kevin Reitzel, and Kevin, welcome to Discovering Trek. We're excited to finally get you on the show, man. Bill and Dan, thank you so much. It is an honor to be here. I love your show. Big Star Trek fan. And Dan, also fellow fan of Team Tosk. Oh, beautiful. Team Tosk, yes, you have uh, been sending me some pictures lately about your little Tosk action figure all over the globe. And 
I got to say I'm pretty jealous. I now have my own Tosk action figure, but he hasn't traveled yet. He's still in the packaging. So he's suffocating, but that's okay. It just fits. You know, he's been around the world. He's uh, eluded those those hunters. <laughs> but thanks again for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. It's going to be fun. Well, it is certainly our pleasure to have you here, man. And uh, before we get started, I think Bill is resetting his communications channels just to let people know how they can get in touch with us to share their thoughts on episode 14. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Right you are. Hailing frequencies are open, Dan. Well, except at Starbase 1, which we'll get to in a moment or two. And of course, we're transmitting friendship messages through what's left of the Federation in all known languages. You can find us on Twitter at Discovering Trek. And of course, on Facebook, we can be found at facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. There you can join in on the discussion, leave us comments, questions, suggestions, or feedback in general. Plus, don't forget that you can also send us a voicemail directly, and now it's easier than ever. Just go to trekgeeks.com and click on the big blue button on the right-hand side. Please do remember, though, that any comments you may leave us could be used in an episode of Discovering Trek. Dan? Thank you, my good man. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched episode 14 of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right this second. Go on over to CBS All Access and watch the latest episode. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for the war without, the war within. Previously on Star Trek Discovery. Burnham, what the hell are you doing? Saru enters the Discovery transporter room and is quite surprised to see Captain Giorgio standing on the pad with Michael Burnham. Giorgio quickly corrects her title to Emperor and she's stunned to find a servant in command of a ship, especially when she and Michael dined on Kelpian just the other night for dinner. Saru orders Emperor Giorgio confined to quarters and her presence aboard Discovery classified. Saru informs Burnham that Federation ships have been detected on long-range sensors, but not a single one is responding to hails. Saru also mentions that Tyler underwent some... surgery? Perhaps elective? And explains that Laurel performed a procedure to rid him of his Klingon personality. Saru hopes that Burnham can encourage Tyler to heal and become more human, but Burnham isn't exactly ready to see Tyler just yet. Saru is, though... He goes to sickpay to discover that the Klingon, formerly known as Vok, son of none, now appears to just be Ash Tyler. Tyler has access to Vok's memories, but they're separated now. Tyler explains that Vok was the guinea pig for this transformation surgery from House Mackay, and that Vok and Laurel plan to take Discovery to inspire followers to return to the ways of Takuvma. He's relieved to learn that Burnham is back aboard Discovery and that she's okay. He tells Saru that based on the assault of Burnham and the murder of Dr. Culber, he deserves to be put in the brig. Saru blames only Voke for those acts, and he sees no sign of that individual before him now. Tyler is fitted with a wrist tracker, and although his access will be restricted, he is not a prisoner. A Federation ship comes within range of the Discovery with shields up and phasers targeting. A boarding party of what seems to be Federation-aligned races beams onto the bridge. 
Once they've established control, Admiral Cornwell and Sarek beam on board as well. Cornwell initiates a command-level override to take control of the ship, and Sarek mind-melds with Saru to confirm his identity. He also confirms that Lorca is dead. In a briefing room, Cornwell vaporizes a bowl of fortune cookies while cursing Mirror Lorca. She concludes that her Lorca is dead. Saru, Burnham, and Stamets are informed that the Terran discovery was destroyed by the Klingons shortly after arriving in this universe. Now that their discovery is back, Starfleet is disseminating the codes to defeat the Klingon cloaks to the front lines, but it may very well be too late. So far, about a third of the Starfleet has been destroyed, and in the remaining power vacuum, the 24 Klingon houses are now competing with each other for control of the galaxy. Cornwell wants Discovery to jump to Starbase 1, where all records and data from the trip to the Mirror Universe will be destroyed, but Stamets tells the Admiral that all of their remaining spores were used in their final jump home, and since the crop they've been cultivating aboard the Discovery is dead, they're going to have to proceed to Starbase 1 at warp speed. Oh, and there's just one other thing Cornwell should probably know at this point. Burnham brings Cornwell and Sarek to meet Emperor Giorgio. Giorgio wants to be sent home to her universe, and Burnham thinks that the Federation should grant her political asylum. She'll be a guest on Discovery in the meantime until they arrive at Starbase One. In case anyone in the room missed the memo, Starfleet is a little busy fighting a war. Tyler runs into Stamets in the corridor, and well, that's not awkward at all. Tyler apologizes to him for what happened to Culber. Stamets controls himself long enough to say that as long as Tyler feels terrible for what happened, he may still be human after all. Tyler then goes to the mess hall and gets a lot of sideways glances just for walking into the room. He gets his meal from the food slot and then sits alone at a table. Tilly makes the decision to join him. And then Detmer and then other members of the crew gather around the table to support Ash Tyler. Discovery arrives at Starbase One, and Saru's threat gangly and make an appearance. Discovery finds the Klingons have already taken control of the Starbase. There are no signs of Federation life on board. 80,000 people just gone. Admiral Cornwell is dazed and in utter shock. The crew looks to her for orders, and Saru orders the ship to leave before the Klingons can scan them. Cornwell visits Laurel in the brig and tells her the Klingons are winning the war, but that empire is fractured once again. The empire isn't taking territory. The various houses are. The Klingons are coming closer to Earth. Laurel begins to spout Klingon propaganda, and Cornwell tells her that Takuva was an ignorant fool. Cornwell asks her how the war ends, and Laurel tells her it just doesn't. They must conquer the Klingons, or they will never relent. Burnham visits Giorgio, and Giorgio asks about Burnham's relationship to Sarek. Burnham tells her that Sarek is essentially her father, and Burnham asks Giorgio how she defeated the Klingon Empire. She then asks Burnham what she knows about Kronos. Cornwell and Sarek bring the idea of a single powerful offensive on the Klingon homeworld to the Admiralty via subspace. The others are currently planning on defending Earth and want Discovery to fall back with them. And Sarek suggests, logically, that typical Starfleet tactics have failed, so they have to try something else. Burnham goes to Cornwell's quarters in the middle of the night because she has an idea. 
Later on, the rest of the bridge crew is briefed on a plan to jump the Discovery into the subterranean caves beneath the crust of Kronos. What? The only problem is, there are no spores. Stamets has an idea and suggests a course to a lifeless moon where he's going to use the last of his strain to hatch a brand new crop via terraforming. Giorgio summons Sarek to her quarters to discuss Burnham and their current plan. She wants to bring the Klingons to their knees once and for all, something she seems to have an inside track on. In return, she just wants freedom. What could possibly go wrong with that? Sarek tells Burnham that he must return to Vulcan to take care of some evolving details. Hmm. They discuss Burnham's choices, including her love for Tyler and her being motivated by her emotions. He touches her on the shoulder, reminding her that she is human like her mother. He tells her not to regret loving someone. He bids her farewell in the customary Vulcan style, but it seems different. Tilly works on the project to harvest new spores. Burnham tells her that she's worried she just said goodbye to Sarek for the very last time. Tilly tells Burnham that after their experience in the Terran Empire, she's learned to understand the darkness within and fight it. She tells Burnham to go to Tyler because he needs her. Tilly also tells her that how they treat Tyler now is a test of who they are as people. Stamets seeds the lifeless moon with spores and begins the terraforming process. The process takes hold and behold, new spores begin to generate. This, however, is only the beginning. Burnham visits Tyler. He apologizes to her and tells her that Voke is gone. She asks if there was ever really an Ash Tyler who loved her. She says he lied to her, that if it got to be too much, he'd come to her and he didn't do that. He accuses her of looking for an excuse to end this, and she says she knows she's not responsible for Voke's actions, but she can only see him now as he was when he wanted to kill her. Tyler says that she's the reason that Laurel wasn't able to fully activate Voke's personality. She tells him she needs to recover from what he did and that it won't be easy. Cornwell and Sarah communicate over subspace in the ready room. He tells her that the Federation Council is desperate and they authorize Cornwell's plan. Cornwell enters the bridge and makes a shipwide speech. She tells the crew about the mission to Kronos and introduces the person who will lead it. Captain Giorgio, who she claims was long presumed dead and just recently rescued from a Klingon prison ship. Yeah, she's going to be in command of the Discovery. Saru and Burnham had no idea this was coming. Giorgio issues an order for Burnham to take her station, and all Burnham can reply with is, Yes, Captain. So, uh, Bill, I got to tell you, I don't want to downplay the incredible job that Barry DeFord did in your absence last week. But, man, hearing those mellifluous tones of yours on the recap just always brings a smile to my face. And I'm not even kidding. So, you know, you can never take a business trip again uh, while discovering Trek is uh, in the middle of a season. That's just <laughs> the way it goes. <laughs> so, so noted, Captain. <laughs> well, it was a great job. I really like it. I, and I'm sure everybody else did. So here we go. Let's talk. Very quick Starfleet briefing. High-level thoughts on the episode. Was it a thumbs up? 
Was it a thumbs down? And general reaction. And of course, Kevin, as our guest of honor this week, we're going to start with you. What do you think about TWWTWW? <laughs> Definitely a thumbs up. One thing I've really enjoyed about this season of Star Trek Discovery is that they've they've kept you in the dark with certain things that you knew that were developing, but they also gave you a little bit during each episode as it developed. And as the Terran Empire part kind of wraps up here, now that we're back in the regular universe, I love what we're seeing here. And I'm really excited because it's kind of like an epilogue to what's going to be happening for the season finale and also, for, I think, for the entire next season. And I really, really liked it. A, a lot of stuff was put into this episode when it came to the relationships of several people and the development of what's happening with the Klingon War. So definitely a thumbs up. I agree with so many of those takes that you have. I, too, gave it a thumbs up. I thought it was a great paced episode. I was a little concerned because we had four weeks of the Mirror Universe. We had a lot of action, a lot of special effects, fight scenes. So I was a little concerned what it was going to be like when we got back to our universe, if it was going to be slow paced. And it was, but it worked. I loved Cornwell being back in the spotlight. And Sarek was overly emotional, if that's even possible. Uh, but the twist at the end of the episode was something I was not expecting at all, and it really just blew me away. I thought it was great. So uh, we're two out of two so far, Bill. So uh, are you going to uh, give us 100% here tonight? I am. We're going to hit for the cycle. I'm a definite thumbs up on this one, Dan. You know, this episode is in the position of setting up a lot of stuff for next week's season finale, and I really think it did so quite well. I mean, I don't think that by any means this is a perfect episode. But I think that this did a really good job of moving the story along back in the Prime universe. And like Kevin said, creating some great moments between characters. So, uh, you know, the episode before the season finale usually has the unenviable task of, you know, setting up a lot of things to happen next week. And, and sometimes it does it great and sometimes it does it not so great. And I thought this episode really just shined. Excellent. So we are three for three on thumbs up. Uh, that's two weeks in a row that I think we've had everybody giving thumbs up, which is always a good thing with Star Trek Discovery. So let's get right into the meat of all of the different things going on with this episode. And the state of the Klingon Empire was one that I found very intriguing as the story uh, was going on in this in this recent episode 14. Obviously, all 24 houses have their own agendas, and it's a completely fractured empire. And for me personally, I think that that's going to be more of a problem for the Federation than if all the houses were united and had a single goal to destroy the Federation, which even though it seems that's what those houses are doing, with all the mishmash going on, I think it's going to cause a lot of problems if it continues. So, uh, Bill, what do you what do you think was going on? I did love the uh, the nice big Klingon tattoo symbol on Starbase One, which we'll get into. But uh, <laughs> what do you think of the Klingons here last night? Well, you know, the Klingons kind of have another power vacuum going on, right? So when we first saw Episode One, the Vulcan Hello, Takuba was taking advantage of the fact that there was nothing uniting these houses, and so the the rallying cry to remain Klingon really sort of gave them a flag to, you know, to, to march behind. And then to Kuvma's dad, um, Cole takes over, but then Cole's dead. And of course I'm team Cole for life because Cole was really good at taking advantage of that power vacuum that was there and seizing the power for himself. Now there's just chaos and it, it may be a, a, as big a problem for the Klingon empire as much as it is for the Federation because we know that in 10 years, this is going to be a very different looking empire. And I don't just mean 
appearance of the characters. Yeah, that's true. It's only 10 years away, and it seems that a lot has to happen for it to get back into the storyline and the Klingon Empire that we're familiar with when Kirk and Spock first run into them in season one. So, Kevin, what about you? Uh, Klingons, <laughs> I got to say, some of the things that we saw last night were pretty awesome. And uh, I, I, for one, am loving what's going on with the Klingon Empire. I love seeing this disarray and they're just going off and just destroying anything they can. Uh, what's oh, your take on it? Oh, when when Burnham mentions, and, and if anyone's going to be an expert on Klingon now, it's going to be Burnham. And she says, there's no pattern to this. And it's like can open, gog everywhere. It is a mess for everyone. In order to try and gain peace, you need some type of uh, general leadership to approach. And that's not going to happen. So therefore, uh, they're going to get some help. <laughs> I love it. I love what's going on with the Klingons. When, when, they're, when they're infighting, especially from what we saw from Star Trek Next Generation, that's when things get really interesting. Yeah, that's a very good point. So we do see that later on. One of the things I found interesting with last night's episode is I've been kind of getting a little bit worried about Mary Chifo's character, Laurel, because she hasn't done anything for several weeks. She did put on the magic laser gloves and saved uh, Tyler. But for the most part, she's just sitting in her cell wearing that funny looking jumpsuit and talking every once in a while. But last night, we finally got to see a little bit of conversation into what drives the Klingons. And she actually probably without really wanting to helped Cornwell with that decision of what was needed to be done and what the next step is going to be. So (laughs) based on the coming attractions that we saw for next week, uh, we're certainly going to see some things go down with Laurel and others, uh, specifically Emperor Georgiou, but I don't want to give anything away. Um, So, Let's move along to the next topic of of the discussion tonight. And um, I've entitled this one, The Breakup. And, you know, it's sad. You want to have your your tissues with you because it was a sad scene. Uh, Kevin, do you really think it's the end between these two lovebirds, Tyler and Burnham? Or do you think that something still is possible with the two of them? I think it's still possible, but it, it I think it's going to be more interesting when they don't have a current relationship, but they have the past and they start becoming, you know, they start getting in that, not just friend zone, but they start getting into that fellow Starfleet officer zone where they can trust each other when they go on away missions or work together. Seeing them together as a couple has been interesting, but I think it'll be more interesting when they're not because they will have that past. You bring up a very interesting point and Bill, I'm going to ask the question to you. Do you think that Tyler will ever be going on an away mission again? You just mentioned, Kevin, that when they have to go on missions together, based on what we saw and also based on what we're seeing Burnham being able to do as she's now coming back, quote unquote, into Starfleet. Do you think Tyler's ever got a shot at doing anything with Starfleet again? You know, that's a great question. I hadn't really thought about that till just now, but, you know, I have to I have to kind of rely on on Tilly's little monologue and engineering. He's either going to be in a lab or in a cell, most likely, unless something happens next week that is so huge that it essentially gets him a pardon for you know for all intents and purposes. You know, we have we have to keep in mind that you know for Michael Burnham, this is the first person she's ever loved. You know, in Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, she told Stamets she'd never been in love before, and this is the first time that she's had this kind of connection with a human. So whatever it is, I, I hope it's not the end of these two in some way. You know, like uh, it, I think as officers, they're going to have to find a way to work together 
um, or even just as as acquaintances. But um, the, the the chemistry between these two actors is just so fantastic that I hope it's not the end. Well, great segue because my next point, Bill, and I'll stay with you and then move on to Kevin, is just uh, every time – Shazad is on screen. He seems to just, you know, the spotlight's on him. But when the two of them, Shazad and Sonequa, are on screen, screen together, the chemistry that these two have is just awesome to watch. And I've loved every scene that they've been in together. You know, we knew that Sonequa Martin-Green was fantastic from The Walking Dead. We knew that she was fantastic from other things she'd been in. I had never seen anything Shazad Latif had been in before Star Trek Discovery. And I am now a huge fan of this guy. He is a wonderful actor, and the two scenes that they share, or I should say the scenes that these two share, are just amazing every time they're together in a room. So um, I I know that they're never going to disappoint whenever there's a scene with these two characters. Yeah, and Kevin, we've seen some great scenes from Shazad in the past with his uh, uh PTSD, and I, I know it's not PTSD. Um, I can't think of the actual term that we use, Bill, but um, those acting scenes have been phenomenal. And and this week, we got to see another layer of him, and Shazad did a great job acting with the with the inner turmoil that he's gonna, going on, and and he's got a, he's on the verge of tears almost the entire time he's talking with with Burnham in that one scene. Shazad is selling every scene that he is in. He's chewing it up. And what's interesting about his character is that now he has to really understand what it's like to be human, especially with that scene with Stamets, because, you know, the regret that he's going to feel after killing Colbert, it's it's just one of those things I can understand maybe as an actor you just want to get into. You know, he's he's the he's the non-human that's become human and he's going to have to learn how to deal with that and all of the ramifications of his actions. Very, very good stuff. I, you know, one of the things I'm afraid of is this has been a major plot for this season. And we've been told that the Klingon war is supposed to end at the end of season one with all the things going on with Voke and Tyler. I'm a little worried that next week might bring something that we don't want to see with Tyler and that he won't be in season two. I hope I'm wrong. But we'll see. But it would be a shame to lose a great actor. We've lost several this year. Jason Isaacs just last week. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but uh, moving right along, one of the things that was uh, an interesting uh, plot in last night's episode, and the special effects were just amazing, was the terraforming of the spores on the moon in order to get their crop uh, recultivated so that they could do some jumping. Now, Bill. Yes. Let's talk about that for a second, because I think you have an interesting point about those spores. And it was just so lucky that they had one left on the ship for which they could do something with. Right. Oh, absolutely. Now, I understand that some of this is, you know, is a convenience for the writers. Right. They need a way to jump to the, the Klingon homeworld. I get it. But we were out of spores. But now we're not because we can terraform them in minutes on a dead moon. So. <laughs> Why did Stamets spend two years cultivating the crop aboard Discovery then if they can just grow them in about 10 minutes? This is probably my biggest problem with this episode, and it's minor compared to all of the amazing things that happen. But this is a major plot point for what happens next week because they had to get to Kronos somehow. 
Absolutely right. And Kevin, uh, you know, is it a convenience thing for the writers? I, I will say whether it's convenience or not convenience, I love seeing those shots of things from orbit of a planet as they get closer because the technology with special effects today, it just looks so breathtaking to see things like that happen. So I love the scene. Um, I am kind of on Bill's side, though, when it comes to, wow, why, why didn't they just do that all along? But uh, what's your take on it, man? I understand where you guys are coming from. And when you watch Star Trek or any type of science fiction, when you see little holes like this, that's not a, I don't think it's a big deal. You got to kind of just look past it and just kind of go with what the, the, the writers are trying to tell you now. And first of all, the effects for that scene were fantastic, but I got to tell you that scene where they take the, when they're doing the spore regeneration, they're terraforming this moon. What they were doing there to me really felt very Star Trek to me, which a a lot of people had said in the past when Discovery came on, they weren't getting their Star Trek. And this is something that people are still kind of saying. This is the type of scene I really like because it was a throwback to a lot of different things that we saw in Next Generation and the original series, a little bit with Voyager and Deep Space Nine. Them healing wounds here and trying to actually build something. And, and, you know, whether it's it's kind of like it's almost kind of like trying to, to save the whale type of thing here. You're, you're trying to replant this and rebuild this and obviously using it for their own needs. But it was very Star Trek, especially the approach and the way Stamus and Tilly got together and did that together. And just I love that little scene between them where he says, well, maybe I'll even let you name it. <laughs> but it was it was very, very, very Star Trek to me. And I think the writers are trying to get back to that 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 essence that more gene roddenberry ish and and you know and i've said on discoville this hasn't been your gene roddenberry star trek and i think that's a good thing but it's nice to see that they're kind of coming around and showing little scenes like this well let me keep you on the hot seat because i got one question in regards to the spore drive and these spores now it appears that they can find a moon um and grow new spores uh the spore drive isn't around in TOS, so it's got to be classified or destroyed or something as the story progressive pro- uh, progresses, whether it's next week or in season two. Do you think that they're making things difficult to wrap up this part of the storyline, or are you along – quite honestly, I, I trust the writers um, that they're going to do it in a way that we're going to love. What's your take on that? Well, there's yeah, there's a lot of things that they have to wrap up to move the story along to eventually where it gets to the original series timeline. One of them is the spore drive. The other one is what's left from the Terran universe. (laughs) So I think the writers have been very good and very clever, and they're going to find a way to wrap that up. Yes. And wow, you guys are great with segues. It's like you do this for a living. It's it's really fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I liked with last night's episode is we got some closure for several points. One of them, in my opinion, being the discussion about the mirror universe. A lot of people have said, well, nobody knows about the mirror universe when the episode Mirror Mirror comes along in TOS. So how are they going to do this? And I thought that Cornwell wrapped it up very, very succinctly and in a good way when she basically said, we're going to take all the information. It's going to be classified. It's going to be hidden. It's never going to be discussed. It's going to Starbase One and it's going to be destroyed. Um, I liked that aspect of closure. I liked finding out because one of the questions that Bill and I had last week was, 
What's going to happen with the ISS Discovery that's in our universe? Are we going to see Discovery v. Discovery in an epic battle in episode 14 or 15? Well, according to Cornwall, that's not going to be the case because Captain Killy and the crew were destroyed and she saw it. So um, some cool things happened. Uh, foreclosure and built foreclosure. I don't mean foreclosure. Um, but um, did you see anything else that you liked about how they wrapped up some points in last night's episode? Well, you know, I, I think that and probably they, they couldn't have taken the whole mirror universe thing and wrapped a nicer bow on it, you know, to to package it up and get rid of it later. I thought that this was a really adept job by the writers of of acknowledging the fact that, hey, in the original series, nobody knows anything about this. So mm-hmm. that had to be dealt with. Um, I, I am slightly disappointed that we don't get to see a little ISS discovery. Um, that would have been really kind of cool. But it also does answer the question that, that Prime Lorca is dead. And although I would like to have seen Prime Lorca, I think that's probably the best. You know, who knows? If, I mean, we assume that that Mirror Lorca is dead. Um, but for all we know, he could be riding the mycelial highway um, <laughs> and, and and be trapped in there for all, you know, for all, everything we know. So um, I, I thought that they covered all of the bases very nicely in sort of moving on from the Mirror Universe back to Prime. Kevin, do you think that there is any chance we'll see Prime Lorca? Uh, there was never, there's never been any real solid he's dead. We talked about the possibility last week that when the transporter uh, in the ion storm on the Burnham took place, that Mirror and Prime switched and then the Burnham was destroyed, killing Prime Lorca, but we don't have any any concrete evidence of that. Do you think he could be back? I hope so, because I love Jason Isaac. <laughs> I hope that he does. Uh, you know, it, it, that would be a great plot twist to see him come back and shake things up. Uh, I, because I would be very curious to see how prime Lorca is compared to, you know, the uh, the other Lorca who we pretty sure he's dead. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would love for him to come back because not only is Jason Isaacs a great actor, but to see uh, how he could come in and shake things up and and kind of add to the storyline that would be wonderful you know what i just realized um there is no starship that michael has been named after yet <laughs> i think i said the 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 burnham didn't i did i say the starship burnham and not the yeah, burnham yeah you did yeah that <laughs> happens i'm just so excited with sonequa's character i just lose control from time to time oh well sorry about that uh, last thing I want to talk about in uh, things that happened last night, of course, is the big ending. Uh, completely took me by surprise. And, you know, all this season, you know, there hasn't been old bleep moments that have happened. And last night was one. I did not expect to see Emperor Georgiou walk onto the bridge in the Captain Georgiou outfit with the ponytail and the big smile. It it really surprised me. And uh, Kevin... <laughs> Do you think that this is a wise decision with Cornwell and and uh, Sarek? Because I don't think it's going to end. No, it's not. And I'll get into more of that later for when we do the long range scans. But it makes for great storytelling, especially if she's got some key insight, which she does regarding Klingons and how to defeat them. This is going to be a really cool development. And, you know, I, I just I love the character and to see her then play the prime version of it. And it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I'm really, really excited. And it, it, no, it's not a good idea at all. <laughs> Seeing her sit down in the, that chair with that look that she was uh, shooting over to Michael, Bill, you, I know that you've got something you want to say in regards to those looks by both Saru uh, and 
and Michael. That was a tense scene for those two. Well, everybody else on the bridge was all smiles because, hey, Captain George is not dead. You know, this plan <laughs> is so bad that, <laughs> that they didn't bother to tell Saru and Burnham before they trotted, you know, Emperor Georgiou out of there. So, uh, you know, uh, the, the side eye that you got from Saru and Burnham was just classic. Like, we call serious? that the crook eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like, this This is the plan? Are you kidding me? This In the history of decisions in Star Trek, this is probably, this probably takes the cake for the worst decision ever. But, I mean, we're going to talk about this a little later. What choice is the Federation left with, you know? I can, I can agree to that. But at the same time, I have a real hard time accepting the fact that Sarek, Ambassador Sarek of Vulcan would think that this is a good idea. I understand what he said in the meeting that the, it is not logical to keep doing what we're doing and we have to go outside the box. It's paraphrasing of course, but it shocked me. And, uh, I don't think it shocked me as much as it shocked Burnham and Saru. So well, uh, great. Dis- you know, this this actually gives great background for his character in trying to, you know, achieve peace between the Klingons and the Federation in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. I mean, whether we realize it or not, that little nugget is being dropped right here. And I think it's really fantastic because they're going to pay that forward, I don't know, uh, 30 years from now in the Star Trek universe. I love it. Great, great stuff. Good discussion points as always, gentlemen. Good, good, good stuff. Well, each week we reserve this special time to reflect on those that we've lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber part of the show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those who have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the Red Shirt Roll Call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Star Trek Discovery is a show where we will lose crew and we will lose character week after week. That much is certain. But, Bill, you know, this week was a little different than uh, what we're used to, uh, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I mean, we were treated to a lot of off-screen offing this week, Dan. (laughs) The Klingons are certainly having their way with the Federation, and this episode really gives us some insight as to how bad things truly are. So, in episode 14, we bid adieu to about 80,000 souls on Starbase One. <laughs> 80,000 who were killed when one of the 24 Klingon houses took control. I mean, it's no wonder this is like a gut punch to Cornwell, to be honest. I mean, that's a, that, that, that's gargantuan. And now also, we have to say goodbye to the crew of the Terran ISS Discovery, including our beloved Captain Killy herself. We never got to see them, but Apparently, they weren't in our universe for long. If only we'd gotten to see some Discovery on Discovery Combat, that would have been fantastic, to say the least. A little blaze of glory there would have been amazing. I like it. Well, you know, war is hell. And I do have to say one thing. When we first started the Red Shirt Roll Call, I thought that it might be a good idea to toast each death with a shot of synth hall and i'm glad that we decided to only do one because i don't know if i could take eighty thousand shots but (laughs) (laughs) we do say thank you to those that gave their life for the federation as we raise a glass of synth hall in their honor and say goodbye in this week's 
red shirt roll call. Did you guys get a feeling though that Cornwell knew some people there that you know she took it really hard? Yeah, I absolutely yes. did because absolutely. you know you figure that the Federation's been constantly retreating and and trying to retain ground. So she absolutely had to know people there. You know whether it's just a number or whether or not you know there were actually friends there. I can understand why she was as what's the phrase emotionally compromised as she was. Yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. And it's time for this week's exclusive discount code. So just enter the code STARBASE1, that's S-T-A-R-B-A-S-E and the number one, using all capital letters at checkout for 10% off of your entire order on fansets.com. That's everything. This code will be available to use until Sunday, February 11th, 2018 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Fan sets, a set for every fan and a fan for every set. See their entire line at fansets.com. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for the entire first season of Discovering Trek. Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times. And in this segment, we like to take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. So, Kevin, I'm sure that there's just a whole bunch of things that we could talk about this week when it comes to humanity. So let's start off with you, my friend. What do you have for the war without, the war within humanity? Let's go. Oh, there was some feels in this one. And one of the things that that I got from watching this episode was forgiveness. Um, in my lifetime, that's been one of the things that I've personally struggled with. I've seen family members struggle with is learning how to forgive and move on. And I love the scene between uh, Sylvia Tilly's speech to Michael about helping Ash Tyler and getting past the fact that you know, Ash tried to kill her. And if you don't mind, I'd like to quote that, uh, that little monologue that she, she said to Michael saying, when we were in the Terran universe, I was reminded by how a person is shaped by their environment. And I think the only way we can stop ourselves by becoming them is to understand the darkness within us and fight it. Tyler's not the person who did these reprehensible crimes. If Tyler is something other, something new, what do we do now? The way that we treat him, that is who he will become. I know you still care about him. And, and this, is, this is something that hit home with me because, and which was sold so well between the actors doing these scenes, is that, and even it was, it was even Saru too. The scene was Saru and Ash Tyler. Saru saw, saw, saw past what he was and what he is now. And I thought this was a really cool thing that hit home and can give us a little lesson about forgiveness uh, with us. That is some great, great points, man. I really, really, I'm, I'm speechless. That was, that was great. Uh, Bill, <laughs> let's see if you can top that one, buddy. <laughs> I highly doubt it, but, but here we go. You know, I, I think that this week there's an incredibly cautionary tale in this episode. You know, Admiral Cornwell makes the surprising and, and quite honestly, the only choice I think is available to take. And she's got to bring the fight to the Klingon homeworld. And, to us, uh, Emperor is yours, you to do it. And that's a desperate choice. You know, in order to give the Federation a fighting chance, she has to put some faith 
and trust in someone who's a brutal dictator who is masquerading as a Starfleet officer. But in the end, it's it's truly the only choice she has short of surrender and death. I mean, we know this can't go well, right? I mean, it, it will not go well. <laughs> Let's be honest about this. But we've commented all season long that this was a Starfleet that's having to do some very un-Starfleet-like things in order to win the war. I mean, look at Lorca. He was proud of taking a ship full of Starfleet scientists and molding them into soldiers. But let's be honest. I mean, they're just not. They're explorers, and they're about to embark on a mission that could be the end of the Federation as we know it. They simply must succeed. But at what cost? All too often in human history, we've debated about whether the end of a given situation justifies the means and how far may be too far in preserving humanity. We fought wars and and we've engaged in military action to preserve our way of life. And at times the cost is more than we can truly bear. Tilly says that a person is shaped by their environment in this week's episode. And I have to hope that's true, both of Philippa Giorgio and of our leaders in the real world. You know, sometimes the shadow and sometimes the darkness win. And we mortgage something of ourselves as the human race every time we let them do so. Star Trek has always been about a better future for humanity, a brighter future for humanity. And that future starts with us in the here and now. Very well said, my friend. Both both you guys have great, great comments uh, about uh, humanity in this segment tonight. I'm going to try to do as good a job as you guys. But one thing I will say before I start is it's kind of neat that we don't compare notes uh, about this particular part of the show uh, before we record, because you're going to hear some very similar things. And you might even hear a specific quote repeated uh, that Kevin talked about a few minutes ago. But <laughs> where, where do I start? Uh, there were so many areas in this episode that made me think about our and my own humanity. And I'm going to start with Sarek. And for a few weeks now, another non-human being human on Star Trek Discovery, and I love that. He showed compassion for the first time that I could see in this show. Um, he was Michael's father, if only for the briefest of moments in the corridor. Uh, the words he spoke to Michael as he, a Vulcan, reached out and put his hand on her shoulder, spoke volumes and was basically his way of saying, I love you to his ward. And I thought it was beautiful, if not just a little too late. Additionally, the scene between Tilly and Michael in engineering was amazing for me. Tilly said, and we're going to use the same quote, when we were in the Terran universe, I was reminded how much a person is shaped by the environment. And I think the only way we can stop ourselves from becoming them is to understand the darkness within us and fight it, end quote. You know, how often on this show have I talked about the darkness that lives in all of us in today's world and how scary that can be. And I just wish more people today had the insight and the optimism and the awe of life that this wonderful character Tilly has. Because if more people stopped and understood that darkness and actually tried to fight it, we would all be closer to that life that we see in Star Trek after Star Trek Discovery. And I, for one, aim to fight the darkness, and I hope everybody else does too. Hashtag fight the darkness. So this week's Starfleet commendations should be very, very interesting. Uh, we're going to have a few things that we want to specifically call out. 
uh, from episode 14, whether it's characters or performances or just scenes in particular, and why we think they're worthy of that recognition. So I'll start off with this one. Uh, so far tonight, there were just so many great things that we've talked about. But specifically, I got to call out uh, that shout out to Captain Jonathan Archer and the Enterprise NX-01. I was just giddy. That slight reference at the beginning of the episode was great when they just said that nobody had been on Kronos for 100 years. But I literally got goosebumps when she said who it was, and we got that reference to Star Trek Enterprise. You know, last week we saw the callback to the Ion Storm from TOS with the with the transporter accident, and then this week we get the Archer mention. And it makes me think, what are we going to see next? Is it going to be next week? Is it going to be season two? They do a brilliant job of tying the Star Trek series together, and I can't wait to see what's next. Uh, second, I uh, have to shout out uh, to Doug Jones and Sonequa Martin-Green. Many folks have concentrated on the Tyler Burnham relationship in this episode and maybe even the Sarek Burnham one. But for me, that scene at the beginning of the episode in the transporter room and then in the corridor of the discovery between Saru and Burnham was a great example of how that bond has grown between these two characters. You know, she wanted to hide the pain of the Kelpians and the taste uh, in the mirror universe. And that anger or annoyance that he showed when he was lied, when he realized that he was being lied to completely evaporated when she said, I wanted to protect you from that pain. And I just love the way that these two ha have had so many challenges in season one, yet they have grown so close. And uh, I got to say, I also love the way Suru walks with his arms swaying behind him. It's really kind of cool to watch. It's a little hypnotizing. Um, and finally, for me, the return of Admiral Cornwell. It was great to see Jane Brooke back in uniform this week, and she kicked ass as she has done in every episode she's been in, except for that one little hiccup where she completely went numb at Starbase 1 and Saru had to kind of take over, but that's okay. We'll let it go. I'm interested to see the layers that the Admiral's going to have or th that we could see that we have not seen yet. Uh, I am a little bit concerned, like I said before, about the backroom agreement that she and Sarek made with the Emperor because – as Bill pointed out just a minute ago, having a Terran in control in our universe can never be a good thing. But we'll see what happens. Kevin, commendations, my good man. What do you oh, have? I'm going um, uh, Katrina Admiral Cornwell here. I got to start off with her. It was really, really good to see uh, Jane Brooke take this character and come into the scene the way that she did. I, I love her as an actress, but I love the character of Cornwell. And, you know, when especially the little scene where she disintegrates the bowl of, uh, of fortune cookies. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I thought that was great. And, you know, I, I just I, I love the direction that that uh, she's gone through in this season. You know, obviously, uh, you know, still having an intimate moment with uh, with now that she knows that Taryn Lorca. But, you know, also getting captured and fighting, you know, fighting her way out of that and then leading, leading this crew to this special mission. Whether we think it's a good idea or not, it's still pretty, uh, pretty fantastic. And uh, I, I like how that she is still willing to take counsel and, and get help from that. But that scene where she loses herself from all of those deaths. I was kind of taken aback by that. And, and I thought that was a great scene, which, you know, why I asked earlier, while well, I think that there's something more to it, either she knew, knew someone there or something like that, because um, if you understand about a lot of people that are dead, that are faceless, 
if you can put a face to something like that, I think it hits home a lot harder. And I think there's some some backstory there. And I I, I got to give it to her. And one other thing I wanted to mention, too, is the one line between Sarek and Burnham talking about, you know, her falling for the Klingon. I love the line how it came from a Vulcan. And he says, it's OK. It's OK to love someone. And coming from Sarek, I think, is a huge thing. Oh, I have to agree with you there. In fact, um, that kind of springboards right into one of my three commendations, which is James Fran. You know, I love that scene. You know, Sarek's getting ready to depart the discovery. He says goodbye to Michael and the touch of his hand to her shoulder was so small. But for Vulcans, it says so much. And I have to say that Frayne totally played the nuance of that scene just beautifully. We understood it with one simple contact, the affection that Sarek has for Michael, even if he'd never say it personally. Um, and then I'll round out the rest of mine. Um, Michelle Yeoh, I have to say her emperor is fascinating. And I love the depths to this character. And the reveal at the end of this episode, I'm not going to lie, it truly made my jaw just drop. It'll be interesting to see how the Emperor assumes the persona of Captain Giorgio and how that facade could crack. But I just think it's uh, it makes me wish that we had seen more of of Captain Philippa Giorgio and in, 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 in the rest of the series. And and I wish that her character hadn't died um, at the end of episode two. And then lastly, I, too, am going to give a shout out to Jane Brooke. Um, the Admiral is on the bridge. And did she ever command that ship with authority? I tell you what. Her character has gone through a lot in this series, and particularly in this episode, and I thought it was just all played beautifully. I hope we get to see more from Kat Cornwell in the future. Um, and like you said, Dan, that backroom deal with Sarek, I, I worry about what it's going to mean for her character going forward after the war, uh, or even just if she survives next week's episode. Let me bring up one question for both of you guys before we continue along to the long-range scan, because all three of us had... Admiral Cornwell on our list for commendations, but she's making, in my opinion, a big mistake with what she's doing right now. Is she going to be in Badmiral, Bill? Um, no, I don't think intentionally. Okay, um, like I said earlier, I mean this is this is really the only choice that humanity has left. You know, they have to take the fight to the Klingons, and unfortunately, they're going to have to do it in a way that like we said earlier, it's just very un-Starfleet and probably the most un-Starfleet. And I think part of that is going to play into my long-range scan for next week, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. Well, then I won't ask you to say anything else. Kevin, Badmiral, non-Badmiral, kind of a Badmiral. I'm and- not feeling Badmiral <laughs> just yet. There's been a lot of military okay. decisions in the past where at first it did not seem like a good idea and it went well. And there's been a lot of military decisions that seem great and did not go well. So, you know, this True. this is time will tell. We'll find out. But I'm enjoying the ride with Admiral Cordwell. I love the way that she commands the room and uh, play, played great by Jane Brooke. And uh, on, on Twitter, she got a, a nice shout out by Mary Chifo, which is great, who plays Laurel. It's great to see Jane on Twitter. She is new, uh, only joined a, a few months ago. So yeah, she's on all three of our accommodations. That's never a bad thing. Nice job, guys. Long range scan of planet complete. So here we are. Bill, you just mentioned it a moment ago. It's time to uh, open up that orb of time and get thoughts on what we think is going to happen in next week's episode. 
and I could say, oh, the rest of season one, but since next week is the end of season one, we'll just leave it at that. So, Bill, uh, what have you for your long range scan? Or should we say it's a short range scan at this point? Yeah, I guess you're probably right. Uh, you know, with oh, one more episode. Uh, oh, man. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I smell another Michael Burnham mutiny in the cards. I think it's the only way that this episode can sort of right the ship for the Federation. Um, no pun uh, intended. Uh, and I, I think that she has to uphold the ideals of Starfleet. Um, and, and I think she will. I think whereas before, you know, she, she wanted to punch the Klingons in, in the face. At this point, she wants to, I think, keep from eradicating the Klingons. And I think that she's going to hold up to the best of Star, Starfleet tradition in that sense. Let me ask you this to get a little more in-depth about your long-range scan. Yes. This mutiny... Who's it going to be against? Are you talking about Cornwell? Well, Giorgio is technically in command of the Discovery, so I think she's mm-hmm. going to mutiny against Giorgio a second Again? Time. Yep. Oh, jeez. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> nice job, man. Very nice. Kevin, what do you have for your short long uh, I don't know if I'm feeling the mutiny. I Here's what I think. First of all, my threat gangular right now is on full right now. <laughs> um, first of all, someone's going to die. I mean, I, I, That's how I feel. I think that uh, Ash Tyler is going to have a huge part in the success or possible failure of this mission, but I'm hoping there will be success. And I think he's going to be on that team. There's a brief picture of him walking down one of the corridors where he's ready and he's got his, you know, they've got their kind of dark, long coat. uh, We're going undercover outfits on, you know, but I think, and just maybe it's the optimist in me. I think that we're going to see something out of Terran version of uh, Emperor Giorgio, Giorgio that I think that Burnham saw when she decided to rescue her and transport her out. I think I think that Giorgio, there's something in her during that scene in the last episode at the table that Burnham saw that is redeemable, worth saving. And I think if someone is going to die, I think it's going to be Giorgio because she is the last tie to the Terran universe that they need to wrap up. And I think that she is going to be in a situation to where she might give her life and show some redemption and something that instead of, you know, Burnham can then be happy with the way this this version of her, her captain dies as opposed to what happened the last time. So this is, that's what I think. And I think that the ramifications of this mission or whatever it is they're going to do are going to carry over into the second season. And we're going to see a lot more Klingons and dealing with the ongoing war. Cause it's not going to end uh, with this season finale and, and then wrap up nicely in the first season of season two. I think it's going to be a thing that continues. And I think Ash Tyler knowing what he knows about the Klingons is going to be a huge, huge thing for this team. Well, picking up on your Georgiou comment about her possibly sacrificing herself, that's not too much of a of a leap of faith type of statement to make because she kind of did that last week, didn't she? When she was going to give yep. Burnham time so that she could get to the discovery. So that'll be interesting to see. For me, my long-range scan or short-range scan – Next week is going to be the final episode of the season. That's my scan. <laughs> didn't see, didn't see that commit. coming. 
<laughs> I know I can't I can't be wrong with that one, right? Now, seriously, you know, there's a lot of loose ends to wrap up here uh, at the end of the season. The Klingon War is supposedly coming to an end, but Kevin, you just mentioned that you don't think that's going to be the case. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But along with with you, Kevin, I do feel that someone is going to die next week. My top choice is going to be the Emperor, and my second choice is that it's going to be Tyler. Both of them sacrificing themselves in some way so that the mission can be successful. One more week to go. Can't wait to see what happens. Dan, as always, we want to thank our friends at Fansets for being the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. You know, in addition to Star Trek, you can find pins from all sorts of cool genres like Alien, Harry Potter, DC, and yes, Dan, even Firefly. Ah, yes, Firefly indeed. And, you know, they have a first in pin collectibles called the Discovery Episode Pin Collection. So just head on over to episodepins.com and check out all the details of how you can have unique pins for each episode of Discovery's first season. The pins for the second half of the season have been gorgeous, and I, for one, cannot wait to see what that supersized Episode 15 pin is going to look like. Oh, it's going to be just stellar, Dan. I can't wait to see it either. And, you know, speaking of pins, it's time to give away some to a lucky lister. I love this part. I love to give away fan set stuff. This is just, it's so much fun. As you may recall, last week, we wanted you to tweet out your thoughts on episode 13 with a special hashtag. Well, we've taken all the great responses and we want to congratulate Michael Richardson, who on Twitter is at Yell4Mike. Mike, you've won the captain's collection in honor of the recently departed mirror Lorca. And these pins include uh, Kirk, Picard, Cisco, Janeway, Archer, Giorgio, and Lorca. Wow. That is fantastic. Wow. That's fan set tastic, Bill. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Oh, uh, that, that's a lot of pins. That might be the biggest collection that we've had for a giveaway so far. That's awesome. Congratulations, Mike. You know, Bill and I have loved all the tweets that you guys have been sending us week after week. So we're not going to stop now. Nope, not at all. This week, we want you to send us your thoughts on episode 14 and use the special hashtag fight the darkness for your chance to win some really cool pins in honor of that recent mini arc of the mirror universe. We're going to be giving one lucky listener a set of the next generation mirror universe micro crew pins which will include Picard, Riker, Data, Troy, and Crusher. Next week, we're going to put all your tweets together and pick another winner. So be sure to get your tweets out there by Monday, February 12th, 2018 at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern. And hey, good luck, everybody. As always, thank you to Fansets for being the exclusive sponsor all season long. Well, guys, you know... Next week is the week that I have been dreading for a while now, but at the same time, I am just so excited for it. It is the season one finale of Star Trek Discovery, and I know it is going to be unbelievable. Uh, Bill, what can we expect next week here on Discovering Trek as a result of that season one finale? Well, Dan, as you said, next time on Discovering Trek, we are going to dissect the first season finale entitled, Will You Take My Hand? No, really, that's the episode title. I'm not asking you to hold hands with me. In the meantime, don't forget we've made it even easier for you to subscribe to both Trek Geeks and Discovering Trek. Head on over to podfleet.com and find out how you can get both of our podcasts directly on your iPod, iPhone, Android, or other device. Maybe you're still using a Zoom. Who knows? Plus, you can even stream our podcast directly using Spotify, 
iHeartRadio, or Stitcher. It's your independent Star Trek podcast delivered your way. So join our pod fleet and make it so. Kevin, my man, we cannot thank you enough for being part of this episode 14 on Discovering Trek. It has been a joy and a pleasure to have you on and to hear your thoughts on what happened in this episode. Uh, I'd like to have you take a few minutes and talk about yourself. Let all our listeners know where they can find you on social media. And uh, we'd like to get some more information from you about the FPN fandom podcast oh, network thank my you friend. dan thank you bill for having me on this has been a blast i love the love the work that you guys uh, put into your shows and being a fellow podcaster i know how tough it is so thank you very very much uh yeah i'm one of the co-founders of the fandom podcast network with uh, my uh, fellow co-founder uh norm and kyle and uh, it's one of those cool podcasts that cover a little bit of everything we have several podcasts of course if you mentioned earlier norm and i co-host our highlander blood of kings podcast and we also uh, norm also host and i co-host with them the uh, discoville podcast where we also talk about star trek discovery and the orville we have another great weekly show called culture clash that kyle and i co-host it's kind of your weekly fandom news and we also got some other uh, occasional great podcasts just talking about all kinds of fandom whether it's old movies or just great fandoms that we still enjoy 30 years later. And you can uh, find all that on the Fandom Podcast Network Master Feed and all your podcast catchers. And uh, if you need to get a hold of me personally, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Spartan underscore Phoenix. Excellent. Thank you very much for that info, man. And, you know, for so many podcasts, one of them being Highlander, I thought there could be only one. But, I have uh, never so, heard that before. Uh, I'm sure you haven't. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> wow. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, that's it for episode 14. With only one episode left, what is going to happen to our new favorite Star Trek characters? Well, we're going to find out in less than a week. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of your day with us. And we look forward to the next time that we talk Discovery with you. Until then, here are some words of wisdom from Ambassador Sarica Vulcan, taken directly from this week's episode. There's no telling what any one of us may do where the heart is concerned. Do not regret loving someone. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com. <laughs>